What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another exciting episode on the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Derek Williams, and today I am continuing on a series where I basically explain to you over time how I've gotten myself to the point of my life being able to walk away from hands-on dentistry at the age of 35. In the last episode, I shared with you what the prep work was before graduating from dental school that allowed me to essentially look at a lot of different opportunities and find the right one for me, and also in preparing myself mentally and clinically and even business-wise, to hit the ground running as much as possible. So today, I'm going to give a recap of basically my first year in ownership. And I'm hoping that this episode will be helpful to anyone also that is in your first year of ownership. I'm going to be try and be pretty open and share things about what that first year was like for me. It was a very exciting time, but it was also a very stressful time. I'm excited. <laughs> it's going to be a fun episode. You know, I I think about these experiences a lot because I think anytime any of us think to a time where we grew a lot in our lives, it almost always correlates to a time period in our life that is very challenging and very difficult. I've shared this before on the podcast. I don't remember which episode, but it was something along the lines of adversity, facing adversity. And a few years ago, I read a book called The Path Made Clear by Oprah, where she uh, basically interviews a bunch of different people that are motivational speakers or religious leaders, or they've just grown a lot in whatever way. And she interviewed one guy that basically was saying that there is no way to grow without pain. And that just rubbed me the wrong way. When I first heard it, I thought, no, I'm not buying this. I don't have to feel pain. I don't have to struggle to be able to grow. I can grow without that. And so in my mind, I thought, all right, I'm going to take this challenge. I'm going to think of a time in my life where I grew a lot and didn't experience that type of pain and suffering or difficulty. And so I started listing out all of the times in my life when I could think that I grew the most. And I realized that every single time that I found where I had grown exceptionally, was also correlated to a time that was very difficult and challenging for me. And that was key for me in understanding that and being able to change my perspective in looking forward. Then when I see these times of difficulty, they're still difficult. They're still challenging. It's not that that perspective changes and makes me enjoy them more, but it helps me realize them in the context of the bigger picture. I can go into it knowing that I'm going to experience some kind of growth if I have the proper attitude. So that's what I want to share with you today is some of these experiences from my first year. 
and how that was so crucial in in growing my practice, developing my mind and my skills and everything in able to really being able to front load the process, get myself to a point where I could invest a significant amount of income to build passive income to get myself to this point in my life where I'm 35 and we're financially independent. We have enough income from investments that can support our lifestyle. And that basically frees me up to do whatever I want to then base my daily decisions on what is fulfilling to me rather than what I need to do financially to be happy or to do what we want. So anyway, let me get into this. So when I first bought the practice, I still remember the day that it closed I was able to go into the practice once before and the dentist told the staff that I was just hanging out for the day, kind of observing. And the dentist was, he was 71. And so a lot of the staff knew that the time was probably getting close. They probably had known that for several years, but it wasn't officially announced to the staff until the day of closing. And so we closed, I went and met with the staff and they basically had a list of questions for me. They kind of had a a designated spokesperson who was a dental assistant and who who stayed with me for my full time that I was in practice. Anyway, a lot of those questions were, you know, was I going to change benefits? What changes was I looking to make? Was I planning to keep everyone on? And I honestly was not expecting the questions. And they later referred to that experience as looking at me as, as a deer in the headlights. You know, I was going in, I took cards, handwritten cards and like some gift cards to them on that day. And I was just kind of expecting to have kind of a meet and greet and kind of talk through things a little bit. I expected to talk about the transition and some strategy and how we would talk to patients and stuff like that. But I wasn't expecting all the questions about benefits. My answer generally was, I don't know 100% at this point. He's like, I said, but I would like to keep things the same as much as possible. There's going to be definitely things that I'm going to want to change to improve the practice, but we'll work through that together as a team. So we hit the ground running that same day. We basically spent a lot of the day putting a letter that the seller had written introducing me and announcing his retirement. So we spent the day folding those letters, putting them in envelopes and printing labels and everything and putting them on, which in my transition selling my practice, it was nice and easy. We basically made a mailer that could go out. It looked nicer. It had a picture of me and the seller shaking hands, had a picture of him and his family. It was completely automated. I was able to just send them a list of our patients in the software. So anyway, that was much easier. So getting back to me and starting out, my first week in the practice, really my first few weeks, I really was thinking, okay, I don't really know how things are going to go. I imagine, you know, I looked at the schedule of the seller and I imagined that I would be able to maybe keep up with it, but I wanted to slow things down. So we didn't double, I didn't have anything side by side in any columns. So I basically had one column of dentistry and then was checking one hygienist each hour. So it was relatively doable, but it was still very stressful. I mean, think about it. I came out of dental school 
trying to, I mean, where I had come from the point of like a four hour appointment for a crown prep and an impression and, you know, making a temp to then having an hour and a half, which an hour and a half is still a good amount of time. I honestly don't remember. Maybe I even had two hours in the beginning. I don't think so, though. I think it was probably about an hour and a half. But there was just a lot of things that were pretty difficult for me. And so let me kind of go through that. But overall, in the beginning, it just was this very big feeling of feeling overwhelmed. There's just so many hats that you have to wear as a practice owner. You have to manage treatment. So trying to have good quality clinical work. And then there's patient management as far as expectations, helping them work through pain or uncomfortable situations and stuff like that. Being able to talk to patients about finances a little bit, at least, and being able to come up with a treatment plan. Uh, I mean, and, and then just treatment planning in and of itself, where normally I would have hours to come up with a treatment plan for a patient. And now I'm basically supposed to do that within 20 minutes or, or less. And then there's the whole other side of owning a practice where I am now the boss of these employees and they've got all these different questions for me for how I'm going to run things. Do I want to make certain changes? So having to kind of call all of those shots. And then on top of that, you have all of the business decisions. What am I going to do for marketing? You know, should I spend money on signage? What insurance companies should I participate in? So, you know, there's just a lot of different hats to wear. And that was very overwhelming in the beginning. For me, probably the most stressful part was the clinical side. And so for any of you that have some experience in private practice as an associate or, or something, to be able to have that before going into owning your own practice is going to benefit highly. But I didn't have that. And I knew that. I knew it was going to be challenging, but I just was willing to do it. It's kind of like I shared a few episodes ago when I talked about the day of closing and selling my practice things have gone so well. And I love my practice and my staff and my situation so much that it makes it hard to leave. And it's been a difficult process. But the peace and comfort that I draw from is just knowing that it is the right decision. It's the direction that I want to go. It doesn't make it easy, but it helps me to feel confident in continuing to move forward when I hit obstacles. And I think that's important. I think whenever you're in a situation where, you know, you're having some difficulty, you need to feel confident in the direction that you're going. And you need to stay on that course and be committed while understanding that there will be obstacles that you will have to work through. But you can draw on that confidence that it's the right decision and that you want to continue to move forward. Hopefully. Obviously, that's not true in every case, but hopefully you do your due diligence enough in most situations to be able to feel confident when you're there. So clinically was my most challenging. An another big aspect was just knowing when to refer. And going through this experience in being so green, so new to dentistry and kind of failing and, and having issues and difficulties has actually made me such a better coach in coaching others through the acquisition process. It's really great. For example, this example of knowing when to refer, I generally recommend that the first few weeks, at least in ownership, 
regardless of how new you are clinically in dentistry, that you just refer a little bit more than you normally would. If there's anything that's kind of on the fence as far as what you're comfortable with, go ahead and just refer. The reason being is if you can set yourself up for success and good outcomes, it's going to build confidence all over the place. You're going to have better experiences with patients. Your staff are going to witness those positive experiences and are then going to feel more confident in being able to set patients' minds at ease during the transition, knowing that they've only seen very positive experiences and outcomes with patients. And it's also going to benefit you with you building your confidence in the practice, helping you. And it's going to translate all across the board. It's going to help you feel more comfortable in diagnosing and treatment planning. The better you can feel about things, that confidence just spills over into all other areas in the practice, including leading your team, which is key during this time period. So let's move on a little bit. Let me talk a little bit just about what it was like for me emotionally. If any of you want, you can go back and listen to the Shared Practices podcast. This was when the podcast was brand new. Like, I was the, the second podcast episode ever to be released on the Shared Practices podcast. Number one was an interview with Scott Luna, and number two was with me where Richard Lowe interviewed me. And, and we had kind of been in contact. I'd kind of told him of my experience, and he thought it was pretty gutsy. And he wanted to do an interview with me while I was kind of in the heat of the moment. I mean, I think I was like maybe two or three weeks into ownership, and I was scared to do that interview because I was thinking, what if I just fall on my face, you know, in, in a few months and I'm just going to be the laughing stock, all these people listening to this interview. Go back and listen to that, you know, if you're new in ownership, because you can hear in my voice a little bit of that shakiness and the the lack of confidence. I was confident enough to know that that's the situation I wanted to be in, but it was so tough. Almost every morning I would wake up with kind of this pit in my stomach, knowing the day that was ahead of me. There was several days that I cried before going to work. And any of you that have listened to this podcast for a while know that I'm not one to shy away from tears. But those first few months, they were really hard. And it was hard leaving my, my wife and kids in the morning. And it made it very difficult to knowing that there really was no other option. There wasn't any way for me to really back out of this and to scale back to go work for someone else and to have a mentor, you know, be working under someone's supervision and, and stuff like that. I knew that I'd signed the papers, I had the loan on my name, and I had to figure this out and make it work. That can be pretty uh, weight-bearing, kind of crushing, feeling like you're carrying a lot of weight on your shoulders. Man, it was tough. I, I still remember some days dropping off my oldest at school and just like she was in, man, it's still hard for me to talk about. She was in kindergarten and I had a hard time in elementary school too, feeling homesick and, um, uh, and dropping off my five-year-old daughter and being in a new place, so many new faces and new experiences. You know, I, I kind of pictured what she was going through and I'm kind of going through it alongside her where everything's new and, and scary to me. 
there was a lot of mornings where I just was trying not to let her see that I was struggling and crying or, you know, whatever, trying to be really positive with her. I drop her off and then I go to work after that. And it just took a lot of strength and willpower to just kind of face the day. I wasn't going to share this story, but I think it's been such a key moment for me in drawing from it over and over that I'm going to just share it real quick. So when I was in kindergarten, it was a half day of school and I enjoyed kindergarten. It was a lot of fun. I don't know why, but when I went to first grade, first grade was all day long and I just struggled. I had a hard time. I was so homesick. I didn't love my teacher. My kindergarten teacher was just like so sweet and kind. My first grade teacher was a little bit more strict. I think she probably was very nice and sweet, but from a six-year-old perspective, (laughs) you can definitely not feel that same warm and cuddliness. There was a day that my dad was taking me to school and it had been a hard morning. I didn't want to go. I remember being in the car crying and telling my dad, you know, we we pulled up to the school and I told my dad, I said, I don't want to go, dad. I want to go home. And he said, okay, if that's what you want to do, you can go home. I'll let you go home today. But if I let you stay home today, you have to go to school tomorrow. And if you wait and go to school tomorrow, it's going to be even harder to go to school tomorrow. If you go today, it's going to be hard, but it's not going to be as hard as if you stay home today and go to school tomorrow. And I don't know why that resonated and it clicked and I knew he was right. And I knew, okay, I'm going to go. And so I walked into school that day and went and it was still a hard day. But that was such a key lesson for me. And I've held that memory so close. And there's times, so many times during my life that I've drawn upon that experience again and kind of said to myself, okay, you got to go. Let's do it. Let's own up. It's going to be hard. If you shy away from this and and back away and try and do it again later, it's going to be even harder. Such a good lesson for me. So I drew from that memory when I was in this first year of ownership on the days that were hard. So after sharing all that, let me kind of go into some of the numbers and share with you some of the successes. If you'd only listened to, the, to this episode up to this point, you'd think, man, he must have sucked. He must, you know, that must have been hard, not been able to pay the bills and like wondering day to day. Surprisingly, that's not true. From the very first month, we were very successful. Previously, the seller had averaged production less than $50,000 a month, and that's hygiene and restorative together. And my very first month, we did over $80,000 together. So I knew from the start that things were going well financially, and that definitely helped. It was one less stress on the table, but it still felt like a lot. I initially set the goal to double production. I essentially wanted to hit a million in my first full year. And so I thought that would be really cool. Well, when I hit 80,000 the first month, 80,000 times 12 is 960,000. So my very first month, I knew that we were basically on track to hit a million. And so I thought, okay, I probably need to up my goal. And so I changed my goal. I increased it to 1.5 million. So let me talk about a little bit. What are some of the things that I did to be able to increase our numbers so quickly? 
I kind of talked through some of the advantages in this practice in the previous episode, what I recognized and why I purchased this practice. Because I had looked at close to a hundred practices on paper and seen what they were doing well and what they weren't, I was able to recognize where the opportunities would be. And so when I found this practice, I knew that there was a lot of things immediately that I could do to probably increase production. And the number one thing that I did out of the gate was properly diagnosing and treatment planning. The seller had patched a lot of things and kicked a can down the road. There was a lot of broken teeth in the practice. It was pretty simple. It wasn't easy, but it was simple in that way where I just basically had to be honest with patients. And this is one of my biggest beefs with a lot of dentists out there. I hear almost every dentist when they give advice to a new doc saying, oh, don't be aggressive in treatment planning the first year or two, you know, just, you know, just treatment plan, like maybe a filling here, here or there. And then after you build a relationship, then you can tell the patients what they really need and start doing more. That's such bull. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's dishonest and unethical. Really? You think that you should base what you recommend to patients based on your relationship? So every new patient, because we don't have a relationship, we should not properly diagnose and treatment plan and wait a couple of years and then tell the patient what they really need? Ah, uh, that just is, uh, yeah, you can tell. That's one of my pet peeves. It doesn't make any sense. I understand the logic behind it. It's tough. It's tough to come in where the patients already have a relationship with this long-standing doc, and now you're the new guy, and you may be treatment planning something that's very different. But it easily can be done. And in the TLP Academy, I have a whole hour-long course in there where I talk about how to have these conversations and how to properly diagnose, how to talk to patients about it, how to get your staff on your side so that all of this can take place. If any of you are interested in that, it's in the, the case acceptance section at the end, and it's the third module on there. So go dive into that. But that was, for me, that was the biggest thing, number one. And then over time, I began to kind of change little things that helped me to get more new patients, helped me to be a little bit more efficient marketing and some of those other things. So very quickly, I was making a pretty good amount of money. This practice already had about 55% overhead. And then I came in and increased our production very quickly by, what is that, probably 60%, 70%. And so most of my fixed costs hadn't changed at all. I didn't have to hire any new staff. I did bring on a hygienist, another part-time actually in the beginning. She brought her on for two days a week in the beginning. So they went up a little bit, but not too much. So now that I was making really good money, I was ready to start getting myself ahead financially. This was a bit of a tough decision. I was really interested in real estate and I wanted to get started, but I also really didn't like the debt of my student loans. They were my only debt with no physical asset behind it. So I made the decision to pay off my student loans. I graduated with a little under $300,000 in student loans and paid that off within 12 months. It was very helpful because, you know, I bought the practice in July. So my first year, I paid hardly any taxes because of the purchase and stuff. So I had a lot of cash freed up that allowed me to really get ahead in that way. Now, 
you could easily argue that if I would have refinanced my student loans and paid the minimum payment and invested my cash in almost anything otherwise, I'd be a little bit further ahead now than where I currently am. And I wouldn't disagree with you. Looking back, if I had known the future, I probably would have done that. But that's not how life works. You can't make decisions knowing the future. So in that respect, I still feel good about my decision. It gave me more confidence to go forward and continue to grow the practice and to put my money into real estate. And within my first 12 months, I basically paid off my student loans. My first 18 months, I bought my first rental property, a single family home that was probably a half mile from my house. So I was very quickly kind of getting started. And a big reason why things were able to go that way is because we kept our living expenses relatively low because of, like I said in in the last episode, I had this idea that I wanted to hit financial independence pretty quickly, five to seven years. And my luckily, my wife was on board with that goal, and she was comfortable with us investing the vast majority of our income. So let me talk a little bit about where I went after that. So my first year, Definitely there was hiccups and challenges, managing staff, managing patient, you know, some clinical outcomes that I had to learn from. And that that was challenging. But it also was a great experience in that I realized how great of a situation I was in. Within about a year, I cut back to working three days a week. And after that, I began basically, I think my second month after working three days a week, I had my best month ever. And so this light bulb starts to go off in my head where I initially had the plan of purchasing multiple practices and stepping back clinically, managing and getting to a point where I could sell to private equity or ODSO and then kind of walk away with my pot of gold. That changed. And when I actually got to that point where I was working three days a week, making pretty good money, and I was in the position where I could purchase a second practice. I stopped and paused because I had such an amazing lifestyle and I was able to spend a lot of time with my family. Even at that point, the practice had started to become more hands-off for me and with continuing to increase my income. And I realized that I was probably going to still be able to hit my timeline if I just kept going at the rate that I was going in just one single practice. So then when I weighed out the option of purchasing a second practice, knowing that I would probably have to work in the practice part of the time in order to get it going, and I would have to hire an associate, and if that associate left at any point and I wasn't able to find someone else quick enough, that I'd then be left working more. All of those things led me to the point of realizing that Yeah, I may be able to hit my timeline a little bit shorter, but the stress would significantly increase. And if that meant that I needed to work a few years extra in my single doc practice, working three days a week and having the lifestyle that I loved, I was willing to do that. And that's how I made the decision at that point. And so from that point on, I... You know, every once in a while, I've kind of thrown around the idea in my head of expanding my practice. It only has four operatories. So 
I definitely could do a little bit more on my own if I had five ops, even if I went to seven or eight, being able to bring someone on and continue to grow the practice. And that was possible. I had enough land. I own the real estate. I could do that. But again, I didn't want to increase. It wasn't worth it to me when I weighed out the pros and cons of increasing management hours, number of staff, the possibility of an associate leaving and me being stuck working more. So it again led me back to the decision to stay as a single doc practice and to basically enjoy my life and continue to invest. That is the path that I continued to pursue. So that is basically what I wanted to share in this podcast today was kind of the steps that I took and what my experience was like during, you know, that first year period in practice ownership. And then the next episode, I'm going to share with you a little bit about kind of what happened as we continue to become successful and invest in real estate and grow that then we had an idea for something that was really exciting, something that we could really look forward to and think, man, okay, this could be an awesome way to live an awesome experience, a once in a lifetime type of deal that we may want to do this. So I will get into that in the next episode and share all about that and some of the things that were super fun, but then also some of the challenges that that brought along with it. And it was key in helping me to become the person that I am today. So I'm really excited to share that episode with you. As always, feel free to reach out to any of us. Let us know if you're interested in TLP Academy or one-on-one coaching. Feel free to reach out to me. My email is Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at thelifestylepractice.com. Take care, everyone. Hope you have an awesome week. And remember, the whole point that I'm trying to share is to be intentional with your life and your goals. Don't let yourself get on cruise control and autopilot just hoping that you end up where you want to be. You've got to be setting goals. You've got to be intentional and recognize where you want to be and have a time frame for yourself so that you can reverse engineer your practice and get yourself to where you want to be. And if that means hiring a coach, then it's what you need to do. And it's just important. That's what we specialize in doing at TLP. That's what we've all done ourselves. And that's what we continue to focus on with clients. So take care, have a great week, and we will catch you in the next one.